Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to the Chase the Vase podcast. I'm blessed today. I am here with a transformation coach, potential, uh, like, and Jen, you work with people to maximize potential. You are a motivational speaker, a podcast host of two different shows, one in the morning, which is called Mindset in the Morning, and then you do a podcast called Level Up to 2.0. I'm not going to ask you your age, but you're also an author of three books, and people like, wait a lifetime to do this stuff. So I know I have you for 35 minutes. I want to make sure that my listeners know you, that they can get the most out of this conversation. I know you have a best-selling book back in 2020 called Reset. Then you shifted a little bit, defining your boundaries, and that's on Audible. I've seen that. And you just came out with another one. Did It, it arrived today, but when did it go out? So it was uh, two weeks ago. I think it was maybe the 14th or the 11th, and it took until today. Ah, I got it in the mail today. Feels so good. And it's called? Confidence is queen because the queen is the most powerful player in the game of chess. She can make all the moves. And with confidence, so can you. That's it. Jen, just to let, I just want everybody to know, I'm here with Jen Sugarmeyer, and you are an advocate of recovery. I'm seeing you everywhere. And that is exactly why I reached out. I believe I saw you first at Recovery Today magazine. I was super blessed. I was able to be in the magazine as well. But I saw and you're doing a bunch of writing for them and you're just absolutely killing it. Where does that flow come from? Is it because of your past in recovery? What is it? I love Recovery Today magazine. They approached me about a year ago to to do monthly features for them. So that's really been incredible. Uh, I get to interview some amazing individuals. And it's funny because I never imagined that the recovery space would be my space. In fact, I was just down in Houston two weeks ago. They had the National Big Texas Rally for Recovery, and I emceed the entire day. And it was so much fun. I never thought that this would be my community. In fact, you know, I thought my drinking was fun. Like I thought that's what kids did, you know, and I was doing it on Friday, Saturday, and then it was, you know, maybe kind of more days in between. And then it was just college fun. It was what college kids did. You drank five, six days a week. And then, you know, and, and the tricky part about addiction is it doesn't take one form. It doesn't look like, oh, I live under the bridge and, and I have a needle hanging out of my arm. You can be very high functioning and have, you know, and be a complete prisoner in your own skin. And so even for the addict, it can be tricky to diagnose or to to pinpoint because you're like, wait, hold on. I don't look like this stereotype, but there is no, I mean, that's just what we've as a society said, oh, this is what an addict looks like. There is no one way that an addict can look. And so even for myself, it took me many, many years. And It took me 10 years to get sober. So once I realized what was going on, I'm like, oh, okay. And it's funny because people see, you know, us now and they're like, wow, it's so easy, you know? And you're like, that's the iceberg effect. Like all the things and the crap that happened to get to there. And so it was a journey. And once I had that aha moment, my life changed. So you asked about my flow. 
It's 100% because of my recovery. I would never change any bit of it because it helped me get to where I am. So I'll just open it up because I can talk forever. You hit like 95 things that want to talk about. First of all, let's go back to this recovery space, which is you women are killing it, honestly. And I did a, a 2020 summit for recovering addicts. I had 36 speakers and I bet you that 70% of them were women. And I started realizing like, why is it so counterbalanced? Why are women so willing to talk about it? So open about it. And I realized that men and women do, but I think men have this massive stigma with admitting that we have falls. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want to tell anybody that I have a sex addiction. I don't want to tell anybody that I look at pornography because it's gross and people look at me and they're thinking I'm gross. Or people hear about my opioid addiction from being a police officer, right? And they're looking at me like, wait, you were a cop, but now you're an addict? What is going on with your brain and who are you? And so when you talk about this recovery space, I'm so thankful that there is this space available to us to be open. And, and I say this quite a bit as I do think we're as sick as our secrets. And once we're able to talk about it with people that are like, oh, yeah, I, I totally get it. Not war stories, but hey, this is what I've struggled with. And people that can empathize and say, Brock, Jen, I love you. I know where you're at. So how has the space helped you? I found freedom. I was such a prisoner in my own life. And what I realized is because you're right, we are only as sick as our secrets. And I was leading this double life. And I thought that I could have two lives. It was like, oh yeah, here's my work life. And look at all the things I was doing. Cause I was very successful. You know, I mean, in my own respects, I was working the corporate ladder. I was reporting to the CIO before, you know, I left corporate. I spent a year in Afghanistan. I had a top secret clearance. I mean, there were things I've traveled to 49 countries. Like everybody looking at my life thought, wow, that's really great. But I was a mess. And I'm like, but that's okay. I can have these two lives. They're not going to impact each other. Man, they were clashing so hard. Like I literally was practicing for speeches. This is true. In jail for the CEO. And I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to get out and I'm going to be able to find my vehicle. And then I'm going to go into the office. And, and like I would. <laughs> and I was managing teams. I was managing like human beings. So do they impact each other? 100%. You can't have that much toxicity inside of you and chaos and hatred and anger and all of that. And it not impact your life and your relationships and your happiness and your joy and your peace and your clarity. You just, they will collide. And so how did they collide? When they finally did collide, what was that point? Yeah. Well, I mean, it kept colliding. It was like over those 10 years, it just kept happening. You know, I was going from the hospital into the office, from jails into the office. Like it just kept happening over and over. And I wasn't able to have healthy relationships. I mean, domestic violence is part of my story. And, you know, because I didn't value myself. And I remember being on these dating sites, you know, where you like swipe left for no and right for yes. And and I'd say, oh, you're a doctor? Left, that's a no. Oh, you're a police officer? That's a no. Because I thought everybody was too good for me. And so I'd find people that also had issues. But guess what? I'd find them with their issues. I didn't value myself. Guess what happened to me? I'd go to work with black eyes and bruises all over my body. And my life was totally disaster behind the scenes. And 
It sounds so, you know, my aha moment that got me to the point where I said, oh my gosh, because I tried all the things. And I mean, I spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars trying to chase this thing called happiness. And I even tried dating. Like if I get in a healthy relationship and then I'm happy and I will stop drinking and then we'll get married and then we have kids and then like life is good, you know, like, or if I just move, you know, try hypnosis or if I like Chinese herbs, I've tried everything and nothing worked except I was sitting down on the couch with this guy that I was dating because I did change the profile of the guy that I went after. And I found this guy. He didn't drink. He was really funny. And we sat down and we had the relationship talk. And I was ready for a fight because that's what I was used to. My ex-husband used to say, do you remember what you did last night? And, you know, cops are like, put your hands behind your back. And, you know, there was never this soft, hey, let's sit down and talk about this. It was just, I was met with this aggression. (laughs) And so that's what I was ready for. I was ready for a fight. Let's do this. And he said the seven words that changed my entire life. It was May 18th. 2018, he said, you need to learn to love yourself. And it sounds so simple because it is. But I'm telling you, coming from a point that I have a massive iceberg under the ocean of things that I have tried, and I realized that the only way through I was going to have that life if I, that I wanted was to look at that woman in the mirror and connect with her. That was the only way. And that's what I set out to do. That's where recovery happened. That's where like everybody's like, hey, you know what? Active addiction's hard, but going through that process, oh, of finding who you are, redefining who you are, oh, that's rough. So I want to ask you a question. You said there was just collisions and collisions over these 10 years of drinking and, and going to jail and out of jail and hospital. And I really think it's important that we all have this spiritual advisor in our life. Will someone look at you and say, hey, Jen, you probably shouldn't go out wearing that tonight. It doesn't fit you, right? Or, hey, you got something, you got a booger on your nose. You should probably fix that. Like, we need people like that in our lives. Did you have anybody in your life that was saying, hey, Jen, stop, slow down, come back. Let's, like, I think you're out of control. You know, I think my parents knew that something was going on. You know, I've been dealing with some type of addiction since I was 12. And so it's, it's all I've ever known is to have these two lives. And, you know, I hid an eating disorder for many, many years. I'm like, hey, look over here. I'm exercising, you know, and I have this eating disorder that's like almost took my life. Is that what your first one was at 12? Yeah. And I just thought it was, you know, kind of this like little weight thing I had going on. I didn't realize I was fueling my addictive because that, that is an addiction. I had no idea that I was fueling a monster inside of me. And once I got a handle on that, then the alcohol crept up. And it's always been something that my brain, even still, that it goes after. And so I think, you know, my parents knew, but I was so good about keeping it under wraps. And then when people would see, you know, I'd pass out or somebody would have to fireman carry me out of a concert or something like that. I'm like, oh, I just didn't eat enough, you know, today or oh, I probably drank too much coffee or there was something, some excuse, but I never opened up. And, you know, one of the things that I have found in sobriety is my relationships are so much deeper because I gave people the Heisman. I was like, yep, you stay there. You're my friend. You're my good friend, but you can't come all the way in. And I didn't allow people, even my ex-husband to get that close to me. And now in recovery, and I'm just me, and you get to experience all of me, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, my relationships improved as part of all of this. 
you know, I think people maybe saw a little bit of it, but I didn't really have that person that was calling me out and saying, hey, what's going on? Because I didn't let them see it. Got it. I like the way you put that. So I had a question a couple of days ago and I really liked it. A guy asked me, how do you know if you're addicted to something? And what was interesting is when I was eight, I became addicted to pornography. It's a crazy story. I, just, I saw a magazine and I automatically felt that hook in my brain that I couldn't get those images and thoughts and, and it just continued to evolve. Like you said, that monster grew. Then after I got run over as a police officer and I got hooked on opioids, the chemical hook wasn't the same. You know, from the pornography, had a different, a different place in my brain than the opiates, but the opiates, like I couldn't do without either. But it didn't feel like I was helpless or powerless. So how would you identify that? How would you tell somebody, yeah, this is what addiction is. Can you, I mean, I know what it is in the, in the books, but how would you tell somebody, yeah, this is where you're crossing the line into addiction? Yeah, I think when you're overdoing anything and you start to, you know, it consumes your thoughts or you're thinking about, like, there's no normal drinker that's like, that goes through the madness that we do and all the, the games and, oh, well, then at this time and, oh, I should get a screw top because it'll be faster for me to take off than, you know, than the cork, you know, or whatever. Normal drinkers don't think that way. Like when you're playing games and you're fixated on it and if it becomes something more than just the normal, yeah, I'll just have two drinks. If you need excess and you can't stop in whatever that is, that's addiction. And I was actually, I was, and like I said, I, I battle with it still today. I have to be very careful because I have an addictive personality through and through. I can take anything good and make it bad. I've been addicted to like everything, you know, cinnamon, spray butter, gum, coffee, like it doesn't matter. And I was kind of joking, but not joking. You know, my latest thing, you know, I've decided that I want to start drinking carrot juice because I can't drink coffee in the morning. And I thought, well, let me try this carrot juice thing. I get one thing of carrot juice and they're these huge things. And then, so what do I do? All of a sudden, Amazon has sent me 11 more bottles the next day. Like my whole fridge is carrot juice. Different flavors of carrot juice. Yeah. And so when I was joking with my friend's mom, I said, do you want to know what addiction looks like? I get one sip of carrot juice and I go, that tastes good. That could give me energy. Boom. Full fridge <laughs> carrot juice. Okay, so since you threw that out there, what else? What else has been kind of a crazy addiction? Gum was massive in my world. So I quit smoking and drinking at the same time. And I just cold turkeyed it and I'm not advocating for that. Uh, that's just, I think, worked best for me. And I cut both of those out at the same time. And I was also a closet smoker and I tried to quit for so many years and I started chewing like Nicorette or whatever. And I would chew the four. I also found six milligrams and I would chew the whole pack while I was at work. So my, you know, smoking addiction that I kept outside of work now, all of a sudden, I'm like super hooked on nicotine because I'm chewing like three days worth while I'm in the office. It was like crazy. And I did that for, I don't know, a year or two. I mean, it was a long time. So, you know, my body went through a lot, but I was so used to just chewing gum that when I quit drinking and smoking, I started chewing three packs of gum a day. And that was so horrible. Like I was getting so bloated every single day. <laughs> I just like sit at my desk because I needed something. I'm just used to this. So now I'm like 
30 minutes with the gum, spit it out, put two more pieces in, spit it out, you know? <laughs> Addiction makes us freaking crazy. It does. So you kind of alluded to it when you started. Just on a side note, because this is going to go somewhere, but how much money do you think you spent on trying to recover? On trying to recover? Just on frivolous things. I mean, snake venom, snake oil, you know, just like the crazy stuff that people used to sell us. Yeah. I mean, does this include like all my lawyers? Absolutely. How about the price of addiction? What do you think it would cost you personally? I probably spent hundreds of thousands of dollars between all of the things throughout my entire life, between food and cigarettes, alcohol and lawyers and trying to fix myself. You know, my life now, I have a really, really minimal life and I am, it is so cheap to be me. And I, like, I don't even know how I did it, but yeah, I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you said the best seven words were from a a relationship. Basically, Jen, you got to learn how to love yourself. That's not financial. I think a lot of people think, hey, if I go to recovery or if I take the right medication, the MAP medication, if I do all these things, I'm going to get healed. The problem is that's superficial. That does not last. So this is a really important, there's some depth to this. How did you find, number one, the ability to, to learn to love yourself again? And number two, to make it stick? Yeah, great question. So yeah, I truly believe that addiction is a superpower because I'm all in or I'm not. I was not all in forever in looking at the woman in the mirror and saying, hey, chick, what's up with you? Hey, how do we make you feel good? I was not all about it because feelings suck, facing things, you know, it's just so much easier to sweep under the rug. But when I made that decision that I was going to learn to love myself, I took that addictive power and I pointed it towards myself and then I was all in. And because we have that capacity to do that, I truly believe that addiction is a superpower. And I wrote about that. I can't remember what episode but or what issue, but it is. I wrote about it in Recovery Today magazine because I truly stand by that. And I took a methodical approach, which is now what I use with my clients for, you know, for their own transformation is, you know, you are, I always talk about Mrs. Fields, her cookie recipe. It sold for $450 million. And there's a reason it sold for $450 million because it's a perfect recipe. I mean, if you put too much salt in, it's like, no, you either just make a bigger batter or you start over. And so you are a perfect recipe and you got to make sure that you have all the right ingredients. And I know this sounds a little frou-frou, but you've got to make sure, you know, that anger, that negativity that is holding you back. When you understand and you can unlock the power of the mind, then, you know, you've tapped into another, you know, component within you. When you learn to love yourself, then that's, you know, another ingredient. When you get all of these together, then you can move your life forward. You have to connect to yourself. It is the only way. So if you can take that addictive personality, which we have, and you can point it towards yourself and say, okay, dude, all right, chick, I'm coming after you. I'm going to learn to love you and you can do it. And it's just, it's methodical. You've got to take each little thing at a time. It's not like, let's lose weight. And you go to the gym once and you're like, I'm fit. Like it takes, it's a process. You have to keep at it. It takes practice. You've got to deal with things. It was something I didn't want to do. But then when I actually got in and did the work, I'm like, you know what? I'm really fun. I actually like myself. Hey, look at this. And you know, so many things. And I I talked about 
like my relationships got better. I was talking about this, I think this morning on my morning show, I shared pictures of what my skin looked like. Because when you have toxicity inside of you, whether it be from the food and the alcohol and the crap that you're ingesting and that anger and negativity, I mean, that's where, you know, your face breaks out and your glow goes away and, you know, you have ulcers and heart attacks and diabetes. And I mean, that's what happens when you're stressed out, when you're in a state of suffering. And when you start to release all that, now you're happy, you have a glow, your face is better. Like everything is so much. So once you start tasting that, you're like, I want more, I want more. And then you get addicted to the good life. And that's where we want to be. So it just depends. Where do you want to point your addiction? You can point it right at yourself. It's powerful. So 10 years in active addiction, destruction, you came to a point you're like, okay. No, no. I was like about 23 years of active addiction. Okay, cool. I love that. Even better for this question. What point in time were you looking around and be like, I kind of like this recovery thing. Like I'm starting to get it. In my opinion, I hate talking relapse. Just this is me speaking, nobody else in recovery. But for me, I think if you got your mind right, if you shifted from active addiction, there's no time for a relapse in our lives. I mean, I know there's bad days and there's incidents that happen and family dies and there's trauma. I get all that. But for me, I think if you've changed that energy flow like you're talking about, relapses just don't happen because you're doing the next right thing. So for you, Jen, when did it come to a point you're like, man, Not that I got that because I hate those words in recovery. I got this. That's crazy talk. But where did you feel like, ah, man, here we go. This is what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. You know, the first thing that I went after in my own life was looking at my anger. And when I realized how I could turn that ship, I started to feel the weight coming off of me. And when you start to feel lighter, it just, it feels good. So I would say within the first two weeks, I was feeling better. And, you know, one time, I think I made it to 63 days. That was the longest term sobriety I had in those 23 years. It was 63 days. And I felt good, but I was always romanticizing the drink. I was always wanting what everybody else had. And there was something different about I wanted a better life more than what I had. And before it was like, I just want to stop drinking. Now I was truly connected to something different and I could start to feel the changes in my life. I mean, it always feels good when, you know, the next day, whenever you don't drink or you don't drug, you're like, oh man, that feels better. You know, so there's like, there's that day. But to really feel weight start to come off, it was a couple of weeks. You know, once you get through that pink cloud around three months, four months, you're like, holy crap. And it is a bunch of little steps. Don't even try to take one big leap because it's going to be like, what the heck? It's too much. You have to take these little steps. And then all of a sudden you're like, what? I'm doing the dang thing. You know? So I started feeling things immediately, you know, in the first couple of weeks. But once you're out of that pink cloud and you start to have clarity of thought, because I had a lot of like memory loss and things. Yeah. And I just had to kind of plow through that. And I learned to navigate at work. You know, I just wouldn't ask about things from the past. <laughs> I would kind of circumvent some conversations. Once I was through that, I was like, man, this is pretty cool. 
this is awesome. And then I just kept going and it kept getting better, better, better. Now I'm hooked. Now I'm like, I want more. Life can get even better than this. And it keeps every day. It does. Addiction's a superpower. It was funny. Last July, I uh, took it upon myself to stop drinking caffeine. I was kind of, I was issued a challenge with my guys that I work with, my coaching crew. And so I was like, I'm taking it. Oh my gosh, Jen, I'm telling you, I felt dumb in the two months that followed. And I I still haven't gone back to it, which I'm kind of happy about, but I felt lethargic. I felt my like word salad where I couldn't come up with the next word. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I, did I, does caffeine have that much control over me? And so when you're talking about, hey, there's addictions everywhere, we got to take a, take a deep dive into it. Let me finish off by asking this question really fast. If, if you had a chance, if you could speak to the audience, what you are, what would be a piece of advice that you would leave them with? That you have everything inside of you. Everything that you need is inside of you. And all you need to do is just figure it out because when you know better, then you can do better. And, you know, a lot of it, and I would suggest whether you're in AA or you get coaches or however you work your recovery program, have someone there that can help you, help you tap into these other parts of you because you've got it all. It's just that a lot of times we don't know about it because I don't know, what do they teach us in elementary school, high school? Oh, calculus, physics. Like, why aren't we talking mindset? (laughs) I just don't understand. That's my favorite topic. We don't talk about that kind of stuff growing up. So we got to figure it out as adults. So have get some help. Do the research. Whatever kind of AA program, whatever it is for you, but you've got it all. You've just got to figure out how to find it. And I'm with you. I totally agree in the, in the coaching thing. I wasn't a great AA person. I, I have ADHD. For, so for me sitting in there and then rehashing that I'm an addict every day just it started wearing on me, good in, good out, bad in, bad out, right? I felt like if I kept projecting to the world that I'm an addict, it's going to come back and punch me in the face. And so that became a struggle. So I did kind of what you did is I went and found mentors. I found coaches. I found people in my life that could elevate who I was. So talk to us real fast about this mindset thing. How can we find you if we attached ourselves to you? Do you work with men and women? I would say mostly women, but there are men that I work with as well. But a lot of times women are more likely to, and maybe that's just because that's a woman thing, but they're more likely to uh, to come into my space. But I do work with men as well. Yeah. Okay. So we're looking for you. I know you're all over the internet, Jen Sugarmeyer. They can find you on Facebook and Instagram, but if they were going to find you, what are you teaching them? What are you giving them? It's how to tap into all of those pieces within yourself. And there is a method that I use and it's, getting acquainted with yourself. You know, how do you even do that? People are like, how do I get to know myself? What do you mean just get to know myself? Like, what does that even mean? And we break it down and we talk like real people. Okay. I'm not some PhD that's not relatable. Like I am you. I'm just telling you what it is and all the coaching and the, I mean, now I spend all my money on coaches is what I do and, and certifications and things like that. So I teach you everything that I know and it's getting connected with yourself. It's understanding very important, powerful tools that are in your mind that when you know them, then you start to pay attention to them. And, you know, how do you elevate your confidence? And so we go through very methodically, you know, how to connect to your power source, how to understand those tools that are in your mind, understanding your beliefs that drive your experiences. You know, we just, we have real talk. These are literally classes I think that they need to be teaching 
when we're younger, uh, but we learn about them as an adult. So, and the way to find me, and I have those online and I have them one-on-one, so you can do either or. Uh, I'm about to roll out a new course and this one's going to be incredible. It's Elevating Your Potential Impact and Experiences. That's going to be live here very, very soon in the next uh, week or so. And so online, one-on-one, but Jen Sugarmeyer, it's Jen Sugarmeyer, everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the mug shots, they're all me that are out there. I am the one and only in that sugar with an E. So you can go to jensugarmeyer.com and find all my stuff between the morning show. Uh, I'm live at 6 a.m. every single day. I do 20 minutes of mindset talk. We could be talking about how to deal with rejection, how to deal with failure, how to deal with, you know, just everything that comes into your space. How do you deal with it so that you don't go into a state of suffering? And we know when we're in suffering, what do we want to do? Cover it up. How do we do that? Drugs, alcohol, whatever is going to keep our minds distracted. So how do we deal with it in a way that we can process it, get through it, and live a beautiful life? So jensugarmeyer.com is how you'll find me. And I am totally impressed that you are doing a morning show for 20 minutes. I hope the listeners out there understand the value of this. And it's free? Yeah. Yeah. It's on YouTube. Most people charge for like daily content. And with you coming up with 20 minutes a day actually three podcasts a week and it's rough. You know what I mean? Like you have to dig, you have to be knowledgeable. So people out there, Jen is super knowledgeable. I follow her. I love what she's doing. So Jen, thank you so much for coming on the chase, the base. I'm seriously, I feel blessed. I feel honored to, to work in your space. You're doing a great job out there for us who are in recovery. So keep chasing the vase. And if you want to go find her, please attach yourself to her. We would love to learn more about your classes. We can also post that here on chasethevase.com. If you want to know more about fighting your Goliaths, go to fightlikedavid.com backslash jumpstart. Have a great day and thank you, Jen. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate you. You've been listening to Chase the Vase podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.